Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. If you're using the Pew Bible, it can be found on page 892. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Father, I ask, first of all, that you would help us to love the Lord Jesus uh, with all of our hearts in the true humility that comes from faith alone. And I ask God that uh, Christ would grow in our estimation as we hear Him proclaimed and as we trust in Him with all of our heart, mind, and strength, we ask in His name, Amen. In my counseling training in seminary, we were taught never to ask a why question when we uh, were questioning our counselees. For instance, uh, you would not ask, why were you angry when you did this or this? Or, why did you drink to excess? Because see, when you ask a why question, you are very likely um, to get an excuse rather than any useful information. See, these why questions invite an excuse as an answer. Why is that the case? Why are we so tempted to give excuses? Well, we don't like admitting when we've done something wrong. Uh, we don't like being humbled 
We don't like admitting weakness. Why is that? Why is it that we don't like being wrong or admitting weaknesses or, or being humbled? Well, it's because of pride. No, no sin is as deeply rooted into our nature as that of pride. Pride is as attached to us as our skin. It'd be easier for you to remove your shadow than it would be for you to remove your pride. Thomas Hooker, who was the founder of the colony of Connecticut, he was also a Puritan, he once said about pride, he said, Pride is a vice which cleaves so fast unto the hearts of men that if they were to strip if if we were to strip ourselves of all faults one by one we should undoubtedly find that pride would be the last and the hardest to put off this idea of pride being the last and the hardest of all sins to put off uh, was a very common idea to the Puritans. They used to speak of pride like a t-shirt or an undergarment. Um, it was your inmost shirt. In other words, it was the first that we put on and therefore also the last that we take off. So Adam and Eve... They ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the reason they did that is because they wanted to be like God. And Satan, he rebelled against God even before that sin of Adam and Eve. He rebelled against God because he felt like he should have a more exalted place in heaven. Again, the sin of pride. Pride was the first of sins. In fact, somebody said pride is the oldest sin in the universe and it shows no signs of growing weaker with age. I never taught my children to blame shift. Uh, my wife and I taught them day after day, week after week, year after year to own their own behavior. Yet from their youngest of age, they would apologize like this. I'm sorry if. Or, I'm sorry but. In other words, they would um, put a qualifier on their apology. When you put a qualifier on your apology, deepest down in your heart, you're not really sorry. Deepest down in your heart, um, you are most concerned to defend yourself. And this is a side note. Uh, but when you're apologizing, to say I'm sorry is not biblical language uh, at all anyway. Biblically, you ask for forgiveness. Please forgive me for, and then be specific. But I'm sorry if... I offended you. I'm sorry, but I didn't really mean to do it. That's not a sincere apology. That is a sincere attempt to try and defend yourself. 
even even when my children were caught red-handed, they would still try and defend themselves. Such is the deep-rooted nature of our pride. I'm picking on my children, but I'm not singling them out. Um, because all of us struggle with that same very same issue. In fact, I believe that even as we grow in maturity, we still don't like being humbled. We don't like owning our weakness or our wrong behaviors because it's humbling. In other words, we all struggle with pride. Since my children are here, or two of them, your father struggles with pride as well. So this deep-rooted characteristic uh, uh, of pride uh, dwells inside all of us. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Did you hear what was listed first? Haughty eyes. In other words, pride. God hates pride. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, He will not go unpunished. What is it about pride that makes it so bad and so detestable before God? Pride is the idolatrous worship of ourselves. That's what makes it so bad. And when there's no, there's no room for God in the person who is full of themselves. Pride not only keeps a person's heart from worshiping God, but it lifts up a person's heart uh, and puts it in competition with God. Thomas Manton, one of the Puritans, said, Other sins are against God's law, but pride is against God's sovereignty. Pride encourages a person to think that they belong on the throne of their life rather than God. And one of the most deceptive forms of pride is found in people who have low self-esteem. Many people who mope around with a a low view of themselves are really people who think too highly of themselves, but they suffer disappointment. And so they mope around because they're not as good as they really think they are or should be. Or people don't think of them as highly as they think of themselves. So their outward humility is really driven by a root of pride. I imagine you're asking why I'm talking so much about pride. The word pride doesn't appear in our passage that uh, Joe Bethany read. Um... You heard about the unbelief of, Je- of uh, Jesus' brothers. You heard about the hatred of the Jews. But we haven't heard one word about pride 
in our passage, and yet that's all I'm talking about. Uh, so what's happening here? Well, I believe that the unbelief of Jesus' brothers and the hatred that the Jews had uh, for Jesus had the common root of pride. I think it's pretty clear that pride is driving the unbelief and hatred. And I'm going to make that point in a few moments. And uh, just for full disclosure, uh, I saw this in a sermon by uh, John Piper. And uh, it made a lot of sense to me. So I want to give him credit. Um, Even though I'm not preaching his sermon, that original thought was uh, very important to me in my own preparation. I believe that the major point of this passage, and by extension, uh, the major point of this sermon, is that the world hates Jesus because He confronts the sin of pride. So let's look at how Jesus confronts pride in His brothers. It was the time of the Jewish feast of, uh, of booths. Uh, it says there in verse 2, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. This is about six months, uh, the commentators tell us, about six months after John chapter 6. John chapter 6, he had been up in the region of Galilee. About six months passed. He's down now. Uh, well, I guess he's still maybe in the, the Galilee area. And... Um, during the Feast of Booths, everybody that lived around Jerusalem would come into the city and stay there for a week. And they didn't worry about whether there was enough hotel rooms in the city because people would stay all over the city in these little makeshift tents that they would set up. Real thin, um, rickety tents. And this was on purpose because... This was to remind them of how uh, their ancestors had had been uh, out in the wilderness uh, living in tents uh, for 40 years. And so people were just all over the city of Jerusalem during this time, living in the streets in these little tents, living in, in alleyways and everywhere that they could find a place to put up a tent. Jesus' brothers were very excited about the Feast of Booths because they had seen Jesus work these miracles and they wanted others to see His miracles as well. And in their minds, the Feast of Booths would provide Jesus a great stage to perform. And so they said to Him in verses 3 and 4, Leave here and go to Judea that your, your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he, if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And so they are eager for Jesus to go uh, and have this, this uh, the city full of Jerusalem, for Him to perform His miracles, for everyone uh, in Judea, to see uh, the, the miraculous things that Jesus could do. And, and then Jesus could, could build His following. But look what John says. John has these little 
commentary verses uh, that he will just insert into the passage to help us understand how we're to think about this. And so John has this little commentary note in verse 5. It says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Wow. What a statement. Because not even his brothers believed in him. But yet they know that he performs miracles. They were excited about his miracles. They wanted others to see Jesus' miracles so that he could win more followers. But Jesus says this desire on their part came from unbelief. You know, this is doubly striking. Because we know who some of Jesus' brothers were. Notably, we know that James, who became the Apostle James, who wrote the book of James, was one of Jesus' brothers. And yet, here he is. We see him in John chapter 7. And he's an unbeliever. So Jesus said to his brothers in verses 6 through 9, He said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Jesus here is speaking in in verse... um, In verse 6, he says, My time has not yet come. Then in verse 8, My time has not yet fully come. What he's speaking of here is his purpose in coming to earth. Why did he come to earth? Was it Did He come to earth to perform all these miracles and build a following uh, simply by His miracles? No, He had a bigger purpose than that. A greater purpose than that. His purpose in coming to earth was to be despised, to be rejected, to be scorned, to be shamed, to be nailed to that awful cross where He would die the death of a criminal. That's why He came to earth. And He's saying to His brothers, My time is not yet fully here. I'm not going to come and draw all this attention to myself by performing miracles. Because he knew that it would hasten his death before it was time. But his brothers were thinking that Jesus came to to seek human approval by doing these miracles. They thought that Jesus was motivated by human praise. And by being recognized as Jesus' brothers... They thought that they could piggyback on some of His glory. In other words, they were motivated by pride. Can you see that? And so Jesus rebukes them. They weren't believers. They were motivated by pride. And so Jesus um, confronts them. He also confronted the Jews. Uh, when he did go up, but he didn't go up to perform miracles. He went up and taught. We'll see that next week in verses 14 through 18. But the Jews are also 
it is clear even from our passage this morning that they are motivated by pride. Look at verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go up to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. In other words, they hate Him that much that they wanted to kill Him. What's motivating this hatred? Well, verse uh, 7, the world, Jesus, in speaking to His brothers, the world cannot hate you, but it hates Me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Okay, He's testifying their works are evil. Now, why? how does that, Him testifying that their works are evil lead to them wanting to kill Him? The connection is that they are offended that He is calling them evil, that He is calling their works evil. Who were the Jews? They were the religious leaders. What did they do? They marched around town in the, their religious uh, outfits. They did the holy things. They prayed on the street corners for everybody to see them. In other words, they had this reputation. They enjoyed their reputation. They took pride in their reputation. And Jesus comes along and says that their works are evil. It's clear. They are motivated by pride. That's the reason they want to kill Jesus. And Jesus confronts their pride. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Jesus, when He comes to a person and gives them faith, He also humbles you. Every instance of your of a person coming to faith in Jesus Christ is an exercise of humility. Somebody said that the first step heavenward is humility. And of course, the opposite of that is the first step hellward is pride. Have you gone down the path of humility in order to meet the Lord Jesus? For you to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to own your sin. You have got to own the fact that you believe that there is nothing good that lives in you. You've got to own the fact that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That you deserve death because of your sin. And that you also reserve that you also deserve the wrath of Almighty God. Romans chapter five. That is humiliating that you when you recognize that when you recognize that you have no hope to use the words of our vow membership vows no hope save for the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ then you can receive him but if you are unwilling to let go of your own pride, 
and humble yourself to have the Lord Jesus, then whatever faith that you have in Christ is more akin to the faith of His brothers than a true faith. So, where is your faith? Is it in the Lord Jesus? Or are you vainly grasping on to yourself and your own works? And even for Christians, when you try and justify yourself, that's unbelief. When you are unwilling to own your own sin, that's unbelief. Yes, you may belong to the Lord Jesus. But it's a form of unbelief to try and and uh, justify yourself. And so, where are you this morning? What is your faith? One Sunday up in South Carolina, uh, in my last church, I can't remember the scripture passage, but I was talking about... Um, the Christian culture that we live in. And in the, Aiken, South Carolina is about as deeply in the heart of Southern Christian culture as you can get. And I was talking about how uh, as long as you do the, the right thing, the Christian things, it didn't matter if you had a little uh, double life on the side. But everybody had this and you've seen, you know, the, the tables that, that have the fake wood on top, the veneer on top, and underneath the, the veneer, you know, is particle board, not real wood. And uh, I was mentioning that just offhandedly. And I got some of the, the most uh, strident objections after that sermon. How dare you call our, our culture... Um, fake Christianity. And I was stunned by that. And I thought, I think I was probably I think I hit a, a nerve that was probably needed to be hit. And so this morning, what is your faith? How does what does your faith consist of? You have no hope save in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you cling to Him alone? Or is it Jesus plus something that you bring to the table? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, pride is so deeply woven into the fabric of our being that None of us will fully put it off until the day that we leave our flesh. Lord, I ask that You help us to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and in so doing, embrace the humility that comes along with it. Father, I ask that You would give us a faith that... Uh, cast down 
ourselves in order that we might with all our strength, with all our heart, embrace Jesus Christ alone as the only Savior for our sins. I ask this in His name. Amen.